Hello and welcome back to the Extreme Cinema Podcast, Season 2. Fucking hell. We're, we're, we're doing back, it. Sterner. <laughs> we are back, Dom. How have you been for the past y- year? Uh, Decent. But how have you been? Decent, decent would be a good word. So yeah, um, Season 2, I... I don't even know how to tell you how impulsively this has happened, but we are back and we've got uh, three new episodes for you and then we're going to do a mid-season break and then three more episodes for you. And uh, Dom, what are we watching this week? So today we thought we'd start with actually a good film and we're doing Audition. We're doing Audition, which um, it's literally my favourite horror movie ever made. I, I don't think... I mean... Stuff can come close, but I, n- nothing tops this. Like I can say that without reservation. Yeah, you have a a lot more to say on this than me. I think <laughs> I love this film, but it's like your your absolute favorite. No, it genuinely is. And uh, for those who haven't listened to this podcast before, we go into full spoilers all the time. So just watch audition if you've not seen it, or listen to us talk and ruin the entire movie. Not that this yeah. movie can kind of get any more ruined from the discourse. Exactly. If you don't already know about Audition, what are you doing, really? <laughs> yeah. I guess the way to talk about it would just to start with my main point of the film and why I wanted to talk about it so much. Because yeah. the main thing people say about Audition is, oh, it's one part rom-com and then, surprise, you know, it turns into a horror movie uh, as if it's a sort of prank. And it's absolutely <laughs> not like that. I, yeah, watching this again, I completely agree with you, and I always have, that it has such an underlying thing right from the start. Yeah, there is this sinister energy, and it, and it doesn't initially come um, from the woman who's dating, who obviously turns out to be a serial killer. It turns it comes from him, Ioma, our main character, and his friend, and their actions, which are, are really deceitful and kind of awful. But because... Um, Mike's directing is so deadpan in this. Like, I could see how you can watch this and go, haha, cheeky lads just sort of doing a <laughs> cheeky lads thing. Ah, oh, you know. Um, when it's not like that, I mean, setting up an audition and having women come in thinking they're professionals, but it's really to audition for a girlfriend, that's super unethical behavior. And it keeps, and his, the way he's trying to have this one sided relationship um, really sets the tone of the film. So that when you get an hour into it, it's not like, oh, oh, the man in the back has just jumped up. I guess we're in a horror movie. It's like, well, this shit has been uncomfortable from the get-go, frankly. Well, yeah, it's when he's first looking through all of the kind of auditions and he's like, oh, it's like picking a new car. You're like, instantly should be like, there's something off here. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, I think the main theme of the film is certainly yeah, a women's place in society and kind of male ob- objectification of them to a to a certain um extent like when i think the most important scene in the first half is when they're in the bar and they're saying you know oh what kind of woman do you want i want like a well-trained woman and yeah. his friend like sees women enjoying themselves at the bar and be like oh common women yeah whereas like i need a woman that can dance and can play piano and everything it's definitely i mean how much would you go into that it's a feminist movie Oh, I'd say entirely. I mean, I know that's the other main thing is people divided on whether this is a feminist film, whether it's just leery and misogynist, which I, I don't, I mean, I really don't see it, or whether it's um, nothing to do with it, which also I don't see. I mean, how you could watch this and think this has nothing to do with gender roles would be beyond me. Well, I yeah, think, it's, 
it's the exact thing it's about, really, in my eyes, anyway. One of my favorite lines in it, which was so um, poignant, and it's not something I clocked until this most recent watch, was their cleaning lady who's like working ridiculously hard because she's you know cleaning an entire house and that's her job. And she's mm-hmm. like taking a break and it's like, oh, it's so hard. And he tells her, you know, oh, you need a woman, you look tired. Like, yeah. a woman, you know, and, and she, you know, she's a hardworking professional woman. And even in that, those um, gender expectations of the man needs the woman, the woman is, you know, a part, an accessory to him, that's still drummed into her. And I found that very interesting. Yeah, I don't think I ever actually picked up on that. Now you've said it, that's so obviously. <laughs> and then, so, you know, at the end, you get the retribution, the, the torture sequence, which I think I want to get into a bit more later and about how that's this version of you know, yeah. Japanese exploitation tropes and whatnot. But she's ultimately doing it for his lies. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's because of, like, it doesn't make this guy out to be a, an amazing guy that just gets, like, picked on for no reason like it is he does something for this retribution to happen kitty 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 yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean everyone I mean, knows that soon like <laughs> everyone knows that's the thing it's just been spoiled to death i don't know if it's possible to go into the film not knowing the surprise i was listening to um Kermode's, um introduction on bfi played to it and he said he saw it at the rotterdam film festival which is really where it started to get international notoriety and that mm-hmm. all he knew it was a japanese and its film and it started out and it's like oh it's some you know rom-com that is just i would love love to be able to watch it like this oh well that would have been amazing like if you don't because obviously i knew first time i ever saw it that what it was and obviously takashi Mike, so i knew it'd be messed up even if I didn't know what form and messed up it was going to be. I knew it was a horror movie, but it was my first Mikkei. I mean, I think it's the first Mikkei most people, at least in the West, watch. It's certainly his most, um, his only one in the West, I would say, is somewhat mainstream. I mean, amongst film fans, it's known. If you're a film fan, you have seen Audition, probably. Yeah, Audition was like his first big one, really, wasn't it? It's, it's definitely his first uh, big one. I mean... He he makes about five films a year. He's yeah, a, a, yeah. a madman. And before audition, it was sort of largely a lot of them were straight to video. Um, you know, the Yakuza films, samurai films, uh, uh-huh. a lot of them straight. I guess his biggest one pre-audition is Dead or Alive, which was fairly big in Japan. It was two kind of famous B-movie stars going up against each other. And that film is absolutely fucking mental, but also really boring. Like it's um it's an hour and a half and there's like 20 minutes of solid hardcore entertainment in it and the rest of it you're just sitting there like kind of boring but it's got like the best final sequence ever this put him on the map internationally and i think a lot of western critics were kind of surprised when they saw this rather um thought provoking you know poignant um very very well shot slowly shot film that he mainly did hyper-stylized Yakuza films before. Yeah, but which he is, still bounced out. I mean, which is hilarious, because then his next big film is Ichi, which is <laughs> complete opposite of the spectrum Ichi, of this film. 2001 Ichi, Ichi. 2001, fuck. So um, yeah. 13 Assassins was after, because I'd say that's his second biggest in the West. Oh yeah, 13 Assassins is what, 2010, something like that? Yeah, 2010, yeah. Yeah, I've not seen that yet, you know. I really need to. 
It's very good, very good. I mean, I love talking about Mike because he's such a weirdo anyway. <laughs> That's the thing. So he's got like a very mixed filmography. Like Visitor Q isn't that good. I think that in terms of like fucked up Mikkei, that's also up there with Ishii as well. But then you've got like, he did the live action JoJo's Bizarre Adventure film. He did the Ace Attorney film. Yeah. yeah. Like he just, you know, they're like, we need something done. Get Takashi Mikkei on it. He did a First Love a few years back, which was like a return to Yakuza film. I, I love that film. I thought it was so entertaining because it starts out. Uh, as a, kind of the opposite of audition it starts out as this like quite serious godfather-esque drama and ends in just comic book absolute madness it was great yeah and before we return to audition everybody watch blade of the immortal as well it's incredible oh that's like, oh, great like, that's the thing man's directed a hundred films like even if most of them are you can kind of shrug blade of the immortal's bloody great film i think I've not seen Bird People of China. I really want to see that because that's like a, a more straight-edged uh, Mikkei. Yeah, I've not seen, I mean, when I say I've not seen much, I've seen a bit, but he has a thousand films, so it's hard to keep up with. You know what else I found out in researching this episode? He produced the first Yakuza game. Did he really? That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that, that makes so sense. much I mean, sense. Who, who knows how much involvement he had in that? Because it's like, oh, we're doing a Yakuza game. Let's get Takashi Miike's name on it. Or he properly, you know, worked on it. But my God, I mean, I've played Yakuza 0. I love that game so much. Oh, yeah, they're incredible. I mean, a fun fact about that is, do you know the director is the same guy that does Super Monkey Ball? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did, actually. I always forget that one. But I think um, before we leave the subject of who Takashi Miike is, I think it's important to know that what he is now in the industry in Japan most um, professionally recognizable for is that he is the kind of expert, right, on TV aimed at, like, young girls aged between, like, four and eight or ten, like, really young. He developed this series called Girls Plus Heroin. Like, not heroin is in the drug. That would, <laughs> that would be more of an old-school Mikkei <laughs> film. Uh, heroin with an E. Um, and it was a massive hit and it spawned movies that of course Mike directed and like more importantly than that, toys and music, like because it's all like J pop band magical girl stuff. Uh yeah. from the second I watched of it, it looked incredibly over the top. But uh, I mean I'm no expert on Japanese kids' television, surprisingly, but I I could easily imagine it's all like this. No, I remember you telling me that years ago, and I was like, what, the auditioned guy is <laughs> like a <laughs> It's honestly like, I mean, he is, he is a legend. And I saw um, the introduction to the Arrow Blu-ray before I watched this. And I, I think I hadn't seen it before because when I watch a film for the first time or when I show it to a friend who has not seen it, I'm going to skip the introduction in case they go into spoiler territory because you would not believe how many directors are really okay with doing that. And <laughs> um, he said, like, he's not entirely happy with the film. And I just think, what? What this is the best thing you've done by my life. I've seen I'd have to I checked the number of on Letterboxd. I've seen, you know, a decent proportion of Mikkei's film, certainly the most notable. This is the best thing you've done by a mile, mate. Oh yeah. I mean I love Ichi, but obviously this is the best film film by by like a mile. I think for me watching this and now I've you know, the each time I watch it I've seen more Mikkei. So from the, well, the first time I saw it I hadn't seen any and now I've seen a, a decent amount. Um is that I always think of Mike as such an extra director, like such an extrovert, absolute madness. But like the first half of this film, because I feel like the first half of the film is a really great portrait of loneliness and not like, you know, a really over the top, obviously he's alone portrait, just a, a portrait of sort of, a, I guess, widowed businessman in Japan. 
like he's got a really good relationship with his son, but it's also fairly distant. Like we see him fishing, it's a good relationship, but also, you know, they're eating dinner separately and he's spending a lot of time in his room and it's a great portrayal of loneliness. And the first half of this film, it's so classical cinema. Long shots, end on, keeping the conversation going, like lots of, you know, showing the house. It really reminded me beyond anything 90s and ridiculously stylized, anything even Japanese new wave. It reminded me of like classical uh, Japanese cinema, like something akin to Ozu's style. And I don't think that was unintentional at all. Yeah, almost Tokyo starry stuff. <laughs> almost. Or I was thinking um, more even the flavors of green tea over rice, because I feel like that, that's got somewhat of a similar feel to the yeah. first half of this film almost because the only time before the midpoint when you know she leaves the hotel room uh that there's any kind of stylized is the audition sequence which by god is good and this has reminded me that i also wanted to talk about the editing because oh my god this is one of the best edited films i've ever seen in my life i think i think i can now say that like it's so subtle the cuts are perfect. The transitions are perfect. I don't think it's something you're going to watch this and go, oh my God, the editing. Like I just saw Babylon. It's a terrible film, but you'll obviously <laughs> notice the editing that. This isn't like that. And it's perfect. Yeah, it's one of those subtle editing choices that does provide one of the greatest jump scares of all time in movies as well. Oh yeah. Because also when we get into that second half, then you get the Mikae madness. Then you get the quicker edits, the montages, the... Um, weird angled shots, the colour tilting, which is amazing. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the turning point with that person in the bag jump scare when the phone goes off, is where it goes from this film that some people are like, oh, a nice little rom-com that may be a bit fucked up, to one of the most screwed up <laughs> things I've seen for we, a while. We, we like, are in we are in extreme horror territory here. We are in, and it's because it's so down-to-earth realistic in its themes and its plot, and especially in that first half. Oh, God, it hits. It hits so, so, so well. You know, have you heard the fan theory that none of the second half really happens and it's just a dream in the hotel room? I have not, no, but that makes a lot of sense. It does, but it's also, I think it's nonsense. But it it does, when you watch it, you're like, I could see this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I could see it because it's kind of like her imagining almost what <laughs> like because it's so it turns so much. It is amazing because I think that's why it's seen as such an extreme movie as well because obviously messed up stuff happens, but I've seen films where a thousand times worse stuff happens. But this feels more because of the first half, I think. I I agree and um it's an adaptation of a Ryu Murakami uh, novel, which is it's not the same Murakami who did um, Norwegian Wood and um, <laughs> whatever the short story is from Burning. Authors are not my strong point. <laughs> no. But um, yeah, he also wrote Love and Pop, um, or wrote the novel that Love and Pop, the Hidekiano film, is based on. And I can, they came out around the same time, and I can definitely um, see similarities there in their concern for like women's experiences in japan and stuff and i think that concern is also part of the heart of the film and why uh it hits so hard yeah definitely yeah i mean that just goes back to the it is definitely a feminist film <laughs> it definitely is and i feel like uh it's in that 
it's a real it's a subversion of Japanese kind of exploitation tropes because you know you obviously have the kind of weird dream sequence detective bit where she's working out you know he's trying to find her and then you're hearing all these yeah. stories of you know abuse and past trauma and whatnot um but then you get to the torture sequence which is oh my it's just pain it's it's like I think the first time I watched this I had to skip over it I'm like it's horrible to watch I mean we've definitely got to talk about that but one of the most iconic horror moments i think basically ever now it got into shudder's top 100 that i watched and obviously they know their shit like <laughs> what what number was it oh pretty i cannot remember pretty high up i think though i mean fuck i mean just thinking about this i don't know what i'd put maybe some stuff from like twin peaks fire walk with me maybe the ending of the wicker man actually i think would probably be my number one yeah um, in Benny's video, if you count that, I would count that, but most people would. And bits in 2001, I would legitimately count as well. But yeah, it's, it's up there. It's up there. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's very unsettling. I mean, everybody knows the needles, but like... Every... I feel like it's such an amazing um, subversion of like a lot of Japanese uh, horror and exploitation tropes because torture is very prevalent in like classic exploitation films and it's generally leery and misogynist like i'm talking uh, specifically of torture of women like in you know on a higher genre art end you got like urogoro films which are like a mix of eroticism and horror and on the lower end you've got um violent pinku so in that one you've got like angel guts red classroom yeah. and the female prisoner scorpion seasons and like Angel Guts and A Red Classroom, because it's the only one I've seen, is a bloody good film. It's so sleazy. It's so difficult to watch. It's like, it's really hair-raising stuff. And I, I don't buy that that film isn't leery and sleazy. I've, I've, I have a friend who has defended it as some kind of <laughs> postmodern film about misogyny. I really don't think it is. It's uh, just a slaves fest. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a theme of the film, but it is not. It's not, it's not like this, which is actually, this is properly about a woman's place in society. That is just a, a film with so much sex in it. Oh my God. Mm. It, I, just, if you're like, if you really, really, really want to dive into exploitation films, I would watch Angel Guts Ray Classroom, but like on, only, only if you're like hardcore into this shit. It's, it's really well shot. I'll, I'll give it that much. I do think it's a good film. But like, even on the like the higher art end, like something as absolutely amazing, right, as Blind Beast, um, which I I watched recently. I was I think it's a masterpiece. Frankly, I was blown away by it. Um, that is also a bit leery and misogynist. I mean, that centers on a woman who's kidnapped by an artist, and the artist wants to make a sculpture of her body. Mm. And again, there is some attempt to pretend to subvert it, but I don't feel it is. I just think that's an absolutely incredible film about like ob obsession and the sets and stuff are amazing but i feel like audition subverts subverts those um those tropes and those tropes really pierce into a lot of japanese films you know belladonna of sadness as well you could say does the same thing well i think it it almost comes with the territory especially in japanese exploitation japanese cinema in general if we wanted to talk that much of uh, no i would I, I would agree i mean Especially in war movies, like the human condition has some pretty upsetting sequences in that. Yeah, still not seen the human condition, by the way. Oh man, <laughs> it's so good, it's so good. Not quite extreme enough for, <laughs> for this though. But like, I feel the reason that the torture sequence in 
audition is so extreme is is one the the build up to it, but also two, it had to be that extreme to subvert those tropes. It's not. It's really meant to be the anti leery, you know, sadistic torture of those exploitation films. I think in a similar way to what Hard Candy would do, um, mm-hmm. sort of six seven years later. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost well, it not even almost. It is a. This is what we think of your your leeriness. Almost like this is what if we turn it round on you, look how it looks, basically. I mean, that's also the metaphor with the man in the bag who's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, who's got various limbs part off. She has put him in that position of like dependency and objectification that is a metaphor for that position which she as a woman has felt her entire life. And not just with her like traumatic past, but also within this relationship, which the main character has consistently tried to make it as unequal as possible. Yeah, definitely. And I think the genius thing about this film is it says all that while still doing it in a very Mike way. Like, it does not hold back, like, the feeding scene is horrific as well. Might actually be my, the bit that I hate the most in the, in the film, and hate in a good way, I mean. Yeah, I I, I would agree. I mean... Uh, Mike does shit like this all the time. Like Dead or Alive is a fucking yakuza film, but they've they've got this scene of some guy in like a paddling pool, like bathing <laughs> in filth, and you're just like, why Mike? Why are you making me watch this? Of course, he loves that. I watched a few years ago now, but I know we talked about it, Visitor Q, and I was just like, this guy is insane. Like this guy is honestly insane. I, the more I think about Visitor Q, the more I think I don't like it. Frankly, I mean, I appreciate the like straight. The shot on, I think it was shot on video or digital video, like lo-fi energy of it. But I, that is just shock for the sake of shock. I don't think, I think its commentary is basic yeah. on the family. It's really not anything important. Whereas this, this film has so much depth and subtlety and dare I say sophistication. Oh, it definitely does. I mean, especially in the first half. I mean, when you were especially talking about like the editing and how it creates a creepy vibe at the beginning. We didn't even talk about like the the quick cuts to him seeing his dead wife and stuff like that. That if anyone oh, man. if anyone thought this was just like a rom com, how on earth do you explain that that bit? <laughs> man, I mean the the fucking opening is is heart is genuinely heartbreaking. The way it's directed with the kid walking down the hospital corridor, it's it's like a masterclass in opening a film. Frankly. Oh, definitely. And uh, I mean, it's genius in showing. Um, like that he did love his wife and all of that and then getting trauma in there straight away with the son and his relationship with his son it's genius how it opens and i love the the fishing sequence because the metaphor of the big fish is is a fairly obvious one but then you know they they call it out in the film he says well i'm i'm interested in real women and it's such a little good uh microcosm of their relationship that bit yeah definitely and there's probably something definitely to say with like how the son has women over and stuff there as well, and a reflection on the dad and everything. The dad's uh, attitude when the when the son brings the woman over, well, you know, girl because they're teenagers. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Like, it's it's very subtle acting. Oh yeah, definitely. For a film like this, the subtlety and the acting is ridiculous. There is really, I think, there's just such good reason why this is my favorite horror movie of all time. And every time I watch it, it just sort of confirms it more i mean horror can really get a bad name in mainstream cinema circles less so nowadays than maybe when this came out but like 
if you want a like fucking amazing character drama, a film uh, about women's place in society, but also a you know portrait of loneliness and grief. I mean, there's so many layers to this film. I really think this is a great, great of all time. Yeah, definitely. In fact, when you were just saying like today, horror scene is a bit more. This is honestly like the precursor, like the grandfather of creating that idea almost. Like I know what so many horror directors are like, look at audition. This is such a big influence. That, yeah, I mean, yeah, Eli Roth types all the time. I mean, <laughs> sorry, yeah, well. talking about horror as art, the guy who did Cabin Fever and Hostel. I mean, Takashi Miike has a um a cameo in one of the Hostel films along with like Deodata and stuff. In the Arrow video introduction, Mike says, again, that he's not too satisfied with parts of the film. He elaborates no further on that, but also that this is an interesting turning point in Japanese cinema. And it is, because this is the the start of the J-horror craze. We Ringu was like a, just a bit yeah. before this, like a, a year max. And what I love is that all those big films, Ringu, The Grudge, Pulse, Dark Water, um, they all got American remakes. They've got tons of sequels. Audition stands as this like alone amazing film and it's thank best god <laughs> could you imagine the american yeah. remake of this <laughs> <laughs> I, they, they must have considered them they must have jumped their mind they just would have thought who the hell wants to watch a remake of this well yeah they did old boy though so i never put it past them <laughs> that's true but i think a remake of old boy has if you were an executive who could cared nothing about art thinking in a boardroom a remake of old boy has more Maybe. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Mainstream appeal. Luckily, that film failed. Oh, thank God. <laughs> it's incredible. I I don't even know where I can begin on this. I, I think, or end, I guess. <laughs> I, I think the last thing I wanted to say is uh, Kermode's story, Mark Kermode's story, also in that BFI introduction about Ken Russell, that he gave a DVD copy of this to Ken Russell, <laughs> and Ken Russell threw it out the window and was like, this is too much, man. That's amazing. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> like if you were freaking out the man who made the devils and altered states and whatnot yeah my man give yourself a round of applause it must be that like you go into those films you know what you're doing you know what's happening this just takes you by surprise completely and just leaves you there like oh my god <laughs> i really admire Mike, man i i really oh i just he's one of those directors you could almost look at him as a roger corman figure but he's he's got such a better hit rate than Roger Corman did. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you have to have at least some good ones in a billion films that he's made. But yeah, I love Mika, even though I've seen like five or six of his films, really. I should have like looked on my letterbox before this podcast at which ones I've seen of his. Uh, I've definitely probably seen 10-ish, but... Everything I've seen has been memorable. I mean, the worst thing I've seen from him is probably Dead or Alive. And you know what? I think about the last scene of Dead or Alive like every single day. I'm not joking. It's like one of the most incredible final scenes ever. Do you remember the random one we saw in the cinema? The uh, Yakuza Apocalypse. Yakuza one. Apocalypse yeah. at midnight. In the, oh, man. And the frog costume. Oh, my God. Yeah. What a random movie. <laughs> uh, that... I didn't even like that one to be honest, but that was that was good fun at points. No, uh, at points it was a bit. It was dumb. like I didn't love it, but in the cinema that was a fantastic experience. Just been like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I found it quite interesting because a friend of ours uh, just watched this because I might have let him know that this is the episode we're doing first. <laughs> 
And he didn't really like it, but he compared it to Hitchcock. Yeah. And I find that really interesting because it didn't occur to me at all. But I kind of see it with like this obsession with, you know, the, this female character. There is a kind of vertigo element to this film. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, it's not the biggest stretch I've even ever done. So it's not like... Oh, that we haven't done many stretches in this one. I think I, I think Ozu is the, yeah. the largest. I can't wait to, to do some crazy stuff in the season. But um, yeah, I I think that's kind of it. Could you imagine? You know what? If Hitchcock had been around in like post eighties, like when you could really seventies even, if Hitchcock was newer, I could see Hitchcock making something similar to yeah. this. You know, if he was really allowed to do it. True. Like if he went full insane and. It was probably in there, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> like, Well, Frenzy was meant to be even way more fucked up, and they, they told him, like, no. Like, Google, uh, I don't think we'll go into it now, because it's completely irrelevant, but, like, if you Google Kaleidoscope Frenzy, um, which was the original title, just, like, his plans for it were way, way, you could not get away with it, even when Frenzy was made in, what, the late 60s or early 70s. Yeah, I can imagine. Like, uh, Hollywood wouldn't have done no. it. But yes, I think it's time for final thoughts. Dom, I can't tell. Did you like this movie? Yeah, it's pretty good, yeah. It's all right. No, but yeah. It's all right. It's, uh, I mean, it's incredible. <laughs> like, love Mike. This is his best film. It's easily a 10 out of 10. Not quite as big a fan as you are, because I have other horrors I like more, but still. I mean, your favorite horror is still Scream, correct me if I'm wrong. That's almost there. Oh, yeah. this is... I. It's one of the greatest films of all time. If you're a fan of horror watch it. If you're a fan of Japanese cinema, watch it. If you're a fan of movies in general, watch it. I mean, I, I, I really, if you're a movie fan, if you think you are a movie fan, you've probably seen Audition already, but if you haven't, for whatever reason, you must watch it. It's just, it's, it is like nothing else. Nothing else has done this. I actually, um, I watched, um, Tropical, um, Malady in the cinema recently as part of the BFI's uh, Sight and Sound, you know, playing the 100 Greatest Films. And that has a change up in it as well. And I didn't know that was going to happen in that film. Um, I guess, I mean, very minor spoilers, but it goes from a kind of LGBT romance to a monster movie, <laughs> randomly. But like, that was a good film. That was a really good film. And I like the change up in that. It does not do it l like Audition does. No. It d doesn't have that consistency throughout that makes Audition, from beginning to end, the best horror film ever made. I mean, that's a pretty good ending word. <laughs> the greatest horror film ever made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good good conclusion. Um, So, Dom, uh, what are we watching? I'm so excited. Next week. I'm so excited. We will be watching. We've done a really good movie, so what's next? I've not even seen this yet. I will be watching it for the episode. No. Danzig's Verotica, which I hear is the worst thing that's ever happened to cinema. It, I I have to watch this again. I have seen this, and I'm going to have to watch it again for this episode. It is, I mean, when it came out, I'll just say this, when it premiered at whatever film festival it premiered, I woke up and my Twitter was full of a bunch of articles being like, this is the new The Room. I remember. So we're in that level territory next yeah, week. Yeah, I'm a big Danzig fan, so... I'll have a lot to say, so I'm excited. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, yep, season two. We are back. We are here. I hope you enjoy this season. Thank you so much, and take care, and we will see you next week. Yes, bye. You've been listening to the Extreme Cinema Podcast with Alexander Sternberg and Dom Loach. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing, as it really helps us out.
The original artwork for the podcast was done by George Arnold. The Extreme Cinema Podcast, available where all good podcasts are available.